You're listening to Radically Pragmatic, a podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute. We talk with lawmakers, policy experts, and thought leaders about the issues driving the news nationally and internationally. The Progressive Policy Institute is a catalyst for policy innovation and political reform with offices in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. Its mission is to create radically pragmatic ideas for moving America beyond ideological and partisan deadlock. We encourage analytical conversations, not your typical partisan talking points. Hello, I'm Jasmine Stoughton, and welcome back to another episode of the Mosaic Moment on PPI's Radically Pragmatic podcast. For those of you who don't know, Mosaic is a project at the Progressive Policy Institute that aims to put more women at the forefront of policymaking by empowering our experts with the tools and connections needed to engage with the media and lawmakers on today's toughest policy challenges. Today, I'm here with Taylor Mag, who is the Director of Workforce Development Policy here at PPI, and Ila Nagaraj, who is the Senior Software Engineer at C-Labs working on CeeLo Blockchain. I'll give you a chance to introduce yourself, and then we'll dive into some questions. Um, so Taylor, if you want to go first. Great. Thank you, Jasmine, um, for having me, and so happy to be here with you and Ila today. Um, again, like Jasmine said, I'm Taylor Mag. I'm the Director of Workforce Policy for PPI. Um, as part of my work, I lead our new Skills for a New Economy project, which is focused on how we ensure the workers of today and tomorrow are prepared for in-demand jobs. Um, and that relates to their skill development, the supports they need to succeed in today's workforce. And of course, that also um, highly encourages ways we can better partner with industry to ensure that um, employers are at the, the front end of designing these training opportunities and these educational pathways. So very excited to talk more about this today on the digital skills front. Um, and Ela, I'll pass to you. Thanks, Taylor. And yeah, I'm a senior software engineer at C-Labs. Uh, which works on the Celo blockchain. Um, I'm currently a backend engineer. Um, I've also done some full stack work and worked in uh, sort of data science, data engineering space as well. And in addition to this, uh, I work or I volunteer at the Ready School for Digital Integration as a one of the teachers for the Intro to Computer Science course, which is uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's been a great experience and is an initiative that's really close to my heart as it basically is a school that uh, works to bring digital literacy skills and programming skills to people from forced migration backgrounds uh, and and underrepresented backgrounds in tech uh, in Germany. That's awesome. So as you can tell, this is going to be pretty focused on workforce development and how people can develop these digital skills. And um, I think I want to start kind of giving context first to where we were last month. So Taylor and I visited London, Paris, and Berlin to talk about the rise of mobile applications and their impact on the broader economy. Um, and many of the conversations that we had were focused on digital skills, job creation, and really the role that the tech industry plays in retaining a strong workforce. Um, and all of these topics accumulated into what we were calling the app economy. Uh, and this is something that the Progressive Policy Institute has studied and tracked for over a decade. Um, so we've done quite a bit of work on it in the past. And um, my, so my, my first question is for both of you, actually, but I'll start with you, Taylor. Um, what are some of the consistent challenges that countries are grappling with to ensure learners and workers have the digital skills needed to access high demand employment? So as we all know, every country is different, everyone, um, different sizes, different demographics, different challenges. 
although this trip really um, showcased that there are a lot of similarities in the challenges that countries are facing in closing some of the digital skill divides that we're seeing across the globe. So I'll just say a couple, and obviously, Ela, I want you to elaborate on more as well that you're seeing. Um, one of the first things I think that was really enlightening is just the lack of infrastructure to teach digital skills, including coding and computer science in high schools. So um, every kind of leader we talked with was there was some sort of push or underlying emphasis on the need to kind of expand early education opportunities in these fields so people can advance in their careers um, and be prepared for the jobs of today and tomorrow once they graduate high school. Um, I think every country is realizing that that infrastructure or that interest has not been there in the past. And they're re really trying to build that up through policy, but also programmatic work like ELA, the work of the Ready School and other opportunities um, and programs that we'll talk later about in the in the podcast. Um, the other thing I'll just say more on like the adult workforce is we know these type of tech related jobs are rapidly changing and skills are rapidly changing. And so how are we ensuring that people currently in that tech workforce or um, could be very uh, a a talent that could be brought into the workforce have the skills they need more quickly and more rapidly. So thinking about um, strategies and policies that incentivize more rapid reskilling opportunities for workers so that they can be prepared for the evolution of these jobs um, in their region. So they are, you know, attractive in the labor market and can access better opportunity and advance in their career. Um, you know, the third thing, which I, you know, would underline a thousand times, uh, the other theme that Ela uh, again, think you'll probably talk about this as well, is just really stark to see across the board the divides in opportunities based on gender, race, and socioeconomic status in this type of work. So that was really clear across, you know, that's happening in the US, but very clear across our time in the UK and Europe that the, those leaders in those countries as well are really trying to implement policies and strategies that encourage more women, more communities of color, um, and also those from low income and rural backgrounds um, to have opportunities in the tech sector at large, but also specifically in the coding space and in some of these app economy jobs that we've talked about. Um, and last, last, last thing, I know I just listed three and I'm giving one more, Eli, promise, hopefully not taking everything uh, away right now, but um, it's just digital infrastructure. Um, Jasmine, I know you've done a lot of work on broadband in the past and um, you know, you can't really ensure people will have digital skills with actual digital infrastructure to learn those skills. So having access to broadband and internet, having access to the tools and devices you need to be able to learn these skills, um, that was another clear kind of challenge that these nations are facing, small or large. There's communities that are not, that don't have that infrastructure and need it. Um, and that's kind of contributing to some of the digital skill divides that we're seeing across the board. So, um, Kind of those were some key themes that I think were really critical that were brought up during our visit and that I think are universal across uh, across our world. Yeah, and a lot of these themes that you're mentioning here, I know you wrote extensively about in your paper um, that we, your report that we highlighted across these countries um, and in the events that we were doing in each city. Um, that's called Closing the Digital Skills Gap, Unveiling Insights from Four Countries. And we'll be sure to link that in the show notes as well so you can get um, a more in-depth look at some of the topics that Taylor's covering today. Um, so Ela, pivoting to you, bearing in mind that you are very much a technical expert in the field and not necessarily a policy expert, what does Germany do well to ensure that there is this basic level of digital literacy? Um, and then what are some areas for improvement? Yeah, so I guess I'll start by caveating my answer a little bit and saying that I'm you know, originally from the US, so I am commenting 
uh, on sort of German culture, German society uh, from the past six years that I've spent here and worked in the tech sector here. Um, I think in particular, what I've seen at the Ready School has really shown me that um, there, there are great opportunities that people here have been able to take advantage of in um, providing practical skills and re-education to people. Uh, two things that I think you mentioned in your answer as well, Taylor. I think those are super important and um, I've seen that done yeah, very well at the Ready School. Um, we've, you know, at least in my experience there, had a focus on um, the skills that people need to, you know, be safe on the internet. There's a lot of things that we take for granted, I think, um, growing up with computers and growing up with access to the internet that um, folks, you know, from different backgrounds that are, you know, that live or have moved to uh, Berlin or to Germany maybe haven't had access to. And um, it's cool to see organizations sort of stepping up to fill that gap and to, you know, provide training on, you know, what, what are phishing attacks and what are these different um, things on the internet that, you know, can really put people in, in harm's way. I had the opportunity of working with high school students as part of the um, basic youth program at the Ready School as well. Um, and it was just really inspiring to see how quickly people were able to grasp those skills when presented in a palatable way, when working with um, you know, volunteer teachers and, and people that were excited to help integrate people in this sense. Um, and in addition, yeah, so as I mentioned, I think there is this re-education piece for people that, you know, for adults who maybe have gone down one um, career path and have decided to switch into you know, the digital uh, sector. And it's, I think, really encouraging to see how possible that is once people are given uh, the tools and the education to you know, learn how to code and learn how to use those skills to you know, attain a better job or you know, higher paying, more flexible um, work situation or a, job, yeah, or a job in general. So I've had the opportunity to sit in on some meetings with larger foundations in Germany. And it's been really interesting seeing some of those discussions around digitization and modernization here. Um, I think this topic of broadband and on general digital infrastructure and improving that is um, a hot topic amongst private companies as well. And um, it'll be interesting to see how those changes come to be in the coming years. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the Ready School works with children, which touches on what Taylor was saying about this early education opportunity and how important that is. Um, but I also know that, as you mentioned, you're, you work with people from many, many different nationalities, people who are locals to in Germany, but also people right. from all over the world. And I think a lot of times when we're thinking about this reskilling, um, there's such an important piece to being able to go to a place like the Ready School and learn a new skill, but also work with people who regularly um, work with people who are specialized in integrating to a new society and maybe a new industry that they've never worked in before. Yeah, totally. Um, and it's been really interesting working with the career program as well. So the 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 course that I've spent the most uh, or the majority of my time with uh, during my time at the Ready School, um, that focuses more on exactly what you're talking about, sort of adult learners who are trying to yeah, shift careers or even just attain digital skills that will help them, you know, do whatever job it is that they're already doing better and um, in a way that's more adaptable to, you know, changes in society due to kind of the, uh, the appearance of new technologies and things like that. 
Yeah. Um, so it's been really yeah encouraging, I think, to see that. So I'm going to stick with you, Ela, for a second. Building on this topic of digital skills, what are some of the biggest barriers to entry that you've seen for aspiring software engineers, aspiring coders? Are there actual technical challenges that you've noticed, especially in your teaching, um, but also being um, a woman in this field? Um, are there systemic barriers? Like, what are some of the biggest challenges that you are seeing for the individual or systems wide? Yeah, this is this is a big question. I think there are, you know, a whole lot of barriers uh, that I've seen either personally or through, you know, the experiences of students and friends and folks in my network. Uh, maybe starting with the systemic the systemic barriers. I think a lot of those barriers have seemed to be pretty similar between, um, you know, sort of the German tech scene and uh, what I've seen and heard from, you know, friends and my network in the U.S. So, of course, you see um, either discrimination or bias preventing women, people of color, people from different backgrounds, you know, breaking into the space to start with. Yeah, I guess one area where you see this as well is sort of insidious, but it's the requirement for people to complete an undergraduate degree in computer science or in, uh, you know, an engineering field. Um, what's interesting about this is that I think there's a lot of different opinions on whether that's actually required to do a lot of the jobs that, you know, hold that as a requirement, you know? Yeah. So, of course, there have been, um, you know, an increase in boot camps and in, you know, re-education programs like Ready School that are seeking to kind of go around that and provide people with the tangible skills that are needed to do the job. But mm -hmm. I think you still see more barriers for people that come from non-traditional backgrounds. And of course, this term non-traditional is itself kind of uh, a biased one, but it really does specifically ref um, reference people that haven't come up through the traditional, um, you know, university level uh, academic computer science training, which again, is not strictly required for a whole lot of jobs that are in the, um, yeah, in the tech industry in general. Um, I think that's, yeah, so that's, that's one that I think crosses over or transfers pretty well between the US and Germany. Um, in addition to that, yeah, I would say that there are these sort of technical pieces of things um, which can maybe be better handled by boot camps and by yeah, re-education programs. So pinpointing the exact skills that are needed and then trying to provide um, you know, further education or additional certifications to to bring people up to speed to be able to do those jobs. Um, maybe one last thought on this. Um, I think it's just been on my mind, especially with, you know, remote work with the transition back to kind of hybrid work and, and uh, in some cases, full in office work. I think that's something that also, you know, disadvantages particular groups of people, particularly women caregivers more than um, you know, other folks in, in the industry and in this sort of return to the office movement, uh, that's, you know, putting pressure on certain groups of people from uh, staying or being able to stay in jobs that they are excelling at or, or really like. Um, and it'd be great for us to be able to, you know, make these culture shifts and change the actual work situations to, to help people out in those senses and help um, women and people of color actually stay in the industry once they've broken into it. Ela, can I just add something? I thought that was such a good point. And, um, you know, I think this is something we saw from the pandemic is like opening people's eyes to 
what it takes to retain employment and advance in employment. Um, I think for so long, it was like, once you have the job, you're good, you're good to go. Um, and now we know there it, it, there's a lot more there. And especially as our economy is changing, like you might need to reskill and upskill in your career. Um, you might need to um, have those additional support services to assist with child's care, with your family needs, um, with transportation and, and other uh, basic needs that people are facing in addition to just work and employment. And so I just think across all of work that's happening. And so just really kind of wanted to underline what you said. And I think that's really important. And we are seeing employers, to your point earlier, really kind of meet the moment, which is exciting to see and say like, hey, we want a more diverse talent pipeline. We want more people to stay at our company for longer times. We need to invest and think about some of these supports to provide them if we want to see that return. So I just, I think that's such a good point and worth um, re-elevating. So thanks for, for raising it. Looking at some of the other places that we've visited, Taylor, what are successes that you learned um, across the UK and Europe? And then are there any innovative programs or policies that you think should be replicated in other regions and countries? Yeah. So oh, there was so much. Um, last month was pretty amazing. Um, I think it's very important to when you have the opportunity to have some comparative policy analysis from across um, from the US and the UK and the EU, because again, like I mentioned earlier, you know, challenges might be the same, but the way we solve them are very different. And so it's great to learn from other nations that are leading on this work um, or ways that the US can also be helpful as other countries are navigating um, the similar challenges. So a lot of things were learned, a lot of amazing policies and programs were discussed. So I'm not gonna you know, ramble on forever on this, but I will just kind of raise um, one from each place that we were able to visit. Um, so one thing that the UK is doing, which I think is very interesting, um, and I know there's a lot of talk on reform and how to adjust it to be even more effective than it's been, is the apprenticeship levy that they've um, established in their national policy. So um, in the UK, they were having a hard time um, with, receiving investment in skill development from employers per our previous conversation. So they were really trying to say, hey, um, we want our employers to invest more in the skills and the development of workers. Um, how can we get them at the table? So they established the apprenticeship levy. It was a bipartisan effort um, and it was all around apprenticeship. Um, so it was a payroll tax on employers. Um, you get the government then takes that chunk of money and gives it back to you to provide apprenticeship for your current staff, but also staff outside your company so you can develop talent of the future and prepare them for jobs um, in your sector. Small businesses are able to participate because they don't have to maybe give as much because of the size of the company, but they're able to access the levy. So it's really like a collective approach to getting people the skills they need. Um, and it's a while not specific just to digital skills and tech like we're talking about today, I raise it because it's kind of like an inclusive industry um, partnership with government to get people um, in a really strong skill development pathway like apprenticeship to help build their skills over the time that they're there on the job training earning a wage while also learning those critical skills in their educational classroom component of the program. So, um, you know, just like any national policy, it's not perfect. There are things that, um, you know, policymakers are working on and thinking about to make sure employers are happy as well as participants. Um, and they are creating that inclusivity of the future workforce. But I do think as it pertains to scaling um, a high quality skill development strategy at the national level that's inclusive across all industries, helping people get those skills of tomorrow. Um, I just think it's a really interesting model to be considering. And, and they saw the scale there that I think other countries are trying to get to. 
when we were in Paris and France, um, I mean, France is doing a lot on the national policy front. They've established an individual training account program, which allows people to, you know, the their government funds it. It allows people to basically use it throughout their lifetime to advance um, in their skills and career. Um, I think uh, the programs has initial positive outcomes, but I still think they're working to get more kind of more folks interested in the program. What they're seeing now is a lot of people who are already on a good path in their career accessing it versus people that they would want um, to see have those reskilling opportunities so they have stronger economic outcomes. Um, but, you know, Jasmine, you asked some innovative programs. I think one thing we saw in France from one of our panelists at one of the events we were doing together um, was a program called Decodas. Um, this is specifically aims at women from disadvantaged and lower income neighborhoods. And it takes into the account the increased obstacles they face in accessing training and high demand tech jobs, which Ela, you were referencing to in your, in your um, statements. It is a startup. Um, it's really creating a tailor-made program that really works to retrain women in these tech-related pathways. And it is more targeted at adult women, um, which is really interesting to help them along, again, their, their career journey. Um, it provides not only training, but access to other supports, like we also talked about, like mentorship and coaching and network building opportunities. Um, and they've seen some really strong outcomes to date. Roughly 1,200 women have been served through the program, 90% um, employment rate from completing the program, and 98% of employer satisfaction um, from where they were placed. So that's just, you know, another uh, exciting opportunity. And I think we can also learn um, from that uh, company on how we can do these small startups that are really helping see the impact on the ground with with um, the tech workforce. Um, in Berlin, Eli, I know you're the expert over there, but I will just, uh, you know, <laughs> underline your point around the Ready School, which you work at. I think it is such an innovative model. I think it is so amazing that people like yourself, like Jasmine said, with the technical expertise are providing those skill development opportunities for others. Um, having that real world expertise and then that um, education of others, I think is really critical. And it probably gets people also excited because they see someone who's in the field doing the work um, and they can see themselves in that role. Um, I also want to just say one thing that um, is up in Germany, which is a national policy that I think is really interesting. And I don't know if we could ever do this in the US, so caveating this, but um, it's a paid training leave program. So just like people have paid leave now for, for family needs or um, you know, health or sick, sick needs, um, this would basically be uh, an opportunity for people to still get paid, um, but they would have, they would have the opportunity to go on and continue their education and get that reskilling and upskilling that people need to kind of remain relevant in, in today's, today's economy. Um, this was modeled after programs in Austria. Um, I know Germany's still considering it. I don't think it's officially kind of passed or been implemented yet, Ela, but I think it's just a really, interesting way to say like, hey, we're not going to make you choose between your skill development and your job because at the end of the day, like people need to be in work and earn a, earn a salary and a living wage, but we're going to provide a program that can incentivize you to get the skill, the digital skills and skill development opportunities that you need um, to do better in your career in advance. And so I just think that's a really innovative model and I think Germany's considering it. And so I would be interested to see how that's working in countries that have established it and if Germany really um, does take it under real consideration, how that would work in the country and if there's anything we can learn from them. That would be incredible to see here in America. I mean, we definitely need to start with like paid family leave, <laughs> yeah, paid medical leave, um, but having a paid training leave, it kind of 
sounds similar to some of the um, what industry does here in America, not not across the board, but there are a lot of companies that offer like continuing education exactly. funds where not only are you like paid through your job to continue working and you get your salary, but you get an additional chunk of money to go and then either improve on your skills that you already have and are improving your leadership capabilities or learn a completely new skill. Um, And so I think industry kind of leads the way on that in America, but it would be really interesting to see um, if there were opportunities for people who may not be in like uh, at a large corporation that can offer that type of a benefit. Exactly. And and just really quick note on that. I think, you know, because the U.S. has a more, as, um, you know, Ela, like a more private oriented system in a lot of ways, we really rely on industry to lead on a lot of these efforts. So to Jasmine's points here, we're really seeing industry and employers step up in some of this skill development conversation and investing in skills in a way that we haven't seen previously because of these extreme shortages. But I do think that's a place where the U.K. and Europe um, with kind of the role of the government there, they've been able to kind of create more public programs that allow people to consider these options as well. And places like Germany have established such strong industry partnerships with the public sector that industries bought in and also ready to invest on their own in addition to what the public sector and the government wants to do. And I think that's a place where the U.S. could get stronger is like rather than kind of going at a policy from one or the other, it's really a united public-private partnership in a way that other countries have also kind of through trust um, and establishment of good programs have been able to create. Yeah, absolutely. So from the industry perspective, Ela, you're from America, but you've been working in Germany. (laughs) Um, What do you think sets the German tech ecosystem apart um, from either it doesn't have to be specifically the French tech or the UK tech industries. Those are just the other countries that we visited, but um, you could even talk about how it's set apart from the American tech industry Um, place ways that you think that the tech ecosystem in Germany is, is doing things well and is being set apart from other um, industries. Yeah, totally. Um, I think, I, yeah, so I obviously can't speak too much to, you know, the UK or French uh, systems, other than the points that you raised, Taylor, which were super interesting. It's always cool to hear about, you know, new projects that are, um, you know, coming up or new policy ideas in different areas. Um, I would say that Berlin has been a really interesting case of this, even within Germany. It's got a pretty nascent startup scene. So it's been growing pretty rapidly in the past, um, I'd say, one to two decades even. It's very, very new in comparison to other major European cities. Um, but you also have this interesting mix with um, you know more traditional manufacturing and um, kind of older software companies across Germany as well. You know, in Munich, in um, the, the what's called the Ruhrpott or Ruhrgebiet in the West. Uh, so there are kind of older industries, older technology, um companies also in the mix here and at some of these you know foundation chats so with one in particular that i was able to sit in on there was a really interesting mix between these sort of older and newer companies coming together to try to come up with um you know digital policies and working with government in an interesting way to you know make this happen and to sort of lobby together um one other thing that comes to mind that was sort of yeah, triggered by what you mentioned, Taylor, about uh, the the proposed policy in Germany. One thing that I think um, 
yeah, is particularly interesting. And, and I've seen work well with both ready school students and with uh, friends of mine even. Um, Germany has a really interesting and yeah, I'd say strong um, unemployment benefit system in the sense that, you know, in addition to, um, you know, paying you monthly or allowing you to sort of get back on your feet and interview and, and go through those different programs, they will often also cover or at the very least heavily subsidize re-education programs. And so they might cover, you know, a tech boot camp that is of really high quality for somebody that is unemployed and in the German system. And so what we've actually seen at the Ready School at, at different points too, right? Because it is a run by volunteer teachers. It's a bit of a different, you know, time commitment for students as opposed to, you know, going to a full-time paid boot camp that is essentially a full-time job, right? And costs uh, often, you know, upwards of several thousand dollars. Um, so what, what I've seen actually happen is students that we have in our courses figure out if this is a feasible path for them to continue on and then have a more intensive boot camp paid for by the German government as part of, um, yeah, this unemployment program. And so obviously I don't know the specifics of this, but I've seen this, yeah, kind of play out for several folks. And I think it's a really interesting initiative, right? It's essentially doing exactly what you want for folks that are, you know, unemployed and don't want to be in that situation and want to, you know, acquire skills that'll let them get um, another job that's, you know, better, that's paying them more, that's, you know, better for them and for the German economy in that sense as well. Um, and maybe one one last piece of this as well, uh, in relation to what you mentioned about France and that uh, the organization, I don't remember the name of it, but the that encouraged women with mentorship and network building. Um, this is actually also such a key piece, I think, to getting around some of these barriers to entry into the tech industry as well. Um, it's so, it's so hard to, I think, go into a new space without a network of people around you, without, you know, knowing people that are like you that have gone, you know, on those same paths. Um, and I know that the Ready School is working on this as well, has, you know, a large alumni network of students and volunteers that is really helpful to people entering the industry to start off with. Um, but this is like something that I would love to see you know, go either Germany or the US or everybody kind of go further with, right? You know, making it possible for people that maybe don't have that network to start off with to expand into that and find out about new opportunities that, that maybe were not even known to them beforehand. Yeah, I think there's so many interesting things that you've just touched upon. Um, one thing that I want to highlight is I never really thought about how Germany has had such um such a storied history with manufacturing and having these physical labor, hard skill type uh, of workforce. And now having a younger startup tech industry kind of start beginning to bloom and seeing it compared to maybe France or the UK and how it is in the earlier stage, but there is now this meeting of the minds and meeting of the generations almost um, where they're acknowledging the manufacturing piece and some of the hard labor, hard skills that people had and looking now at the future towards digital skills. Um, but maintaining both, I think it's totally. super important um, and something that we're, we talk a lot about here in the US, um, but something I, I really never thought about, um, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then also the the other thing that I think was interesting that you brought up is 
with the ready school, it could be something as simple as people learning um, online safety or basic online skills. Um, but if they have this greater interest, learning more and learning how to code and how the German government then pays for some of that. I think that's really interesting because it, I think a lot of times people go into like a digital skills program and think I have to learn how to code or this whole program is a failure. Like that and that not being the end all be all is really important because there's so many other aspects of digital, of the digital workforce and the tech workforce that aren't just being able to code. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it. And I think that that's something that isn't highlighted enough um, that there's other digital skills that you can acquire and that you can learn um, that aren't just specifically learning how to write code and learning a new language. Yeah, I mean, and it's great seeing when students are able to, you know, catch on to coding concepts really quickly and, um, you know, build their own projects by the end of the semester. But it's equally rewarding, I would say, to see folks that have, you know, that struggled throughout the semester to, to grasp some of those concepts but who end up with a better, maybe more well-rounded understanding of, you know, what is data? How does my computer work? How do files work? And maybe that sets them up to, you know, work in like data administrator roles or in new roles that still wouldn't have been open to them before having the, you know, that familiarity. Um, so I totally agree with that. And maybe, yeah, with, I can share one more observation um, regarding the kind of the interesting mix and match between you know older manufacturing companies and these sort of bigger institutions in in Germany with the, the sort of younger guard you know um, sitting in on some of those conversations was yeah it was really interesting at the time like kind of strange but a cool thing to to listen in on um, I think yeah it was especially inspiring seeing how much willingness there was to exchange between those two types of companies right and um, I think there was some amount of mutual understanding of how much could be learned from one to the other, right? So from these bigger, older companies looking to the, uh, you know, smaller, leaner startups and, and seeing what they're doing and how they're innovating in new ways. And, you know, in reverse for the startups to see, you know, how these big industry giants have gotten to the places that they are and what you know, they're doing right with their workforces and why they're still such respected and well-run companies um, in a lot of cases, of course, with some exceptions. But yeah, just to add that like last observation. Well, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your experience and your expertise. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for having us. And Ela, it's so good to talk to you about all this. Um, I learned so much from you on this conversation, during this conversation as well. And really helpful to go back and forth on some of the, you know, efforts that we're seeing, um, you know, across our partner nations. And it's really interesting to hear how Germany um, is tackling this issue. Yeah, thank you both so much. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. And I also learned a lot uh, listening to both of your responses about things. So yeah, thanks again. Thanks for listening. Want to learn more about the Progressive Policy Institute? Follow us on Twitter at PPI and on Facebook at Progressive Policy Institute, or go to our website at progressivepolicy.org. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and check back for new episodes. We'll talk with you soon.